Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Matt Solomon. And today I'm delighted to be joined by Chris Turner and Owen Power. So Chris is the CEO of Sport Wellbeing and Analytics, and that's a company that make Protect. Protect is the mouth guard which professional rugby clubs are using to make sure that they're assessing impacts to their players. Owen is the head of medical services at Gloucester Rugby, and he's been using these mouth guards and implementing the data, and he's going to tell you how you can do it. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Chris and Owen onto the show. So Chris and Owen, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you guys here. Good morning. Thanks for having us. Good morning. Thank you very much for joining us. So can we get a quick introduction for you guys as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? And should we start with uh, Chris on that one? Yeah, sure. My name is Chris Turner. I'm the Chief Exec of uh, Sports and Wellbeing Analytics. We provide the Protect system into uh, contact sports. And we've been doing that for a few years now and uh, really, really excited with the work we're doing with Gloucester and uh, great to be on the call with with Owen. Fantastic. And Owen, uh, can you give us a little bit of background on yourself? So my name is Owen Power. I'm Head of Medical Services at Gloucester Rugby, um, obviously a English Premiership Rugby Union team, uh, currently uh, sitting at the lofty position of fourth in the in the table, thankfully. Um, so I've been there for about this is my fourth season as Head of Medical Services, and before that I was a physiotherapist at, uh, at Bristol, Bristol Bears. Absolutely fantastic. So it's a, a nice, diverse range of experience from you guys. Um, and when we're, when we're looking at in collision sports, obviously... Uh, the, the Protect system is quite an interesting way to measure some of those impacts. So, Chris, can you give us a quick start as to, to what Protect is and uh, how that came about? Yeah, sure. So, so Protect is essentially the, the bit that people will see, people will expect to see a mouth guard. So what we have is a mouth guard, which we've embedded a number of sensors, and they measure what's happening to a player's head uh, when they get into a, into a contact. So what it does essentially is we measure a linear acceleration on the head and a rotational acceleration off the head, and that data is transmitted then live uh, over to the sideline where people can look at that data, they can decide what they want to do with it, uh, and often that's in, in terms of an intervention or it may simply be just checking about what's what's going on. Uh, and, and essentially that all happens, as I said, in, in a live way. Uh, to allow all of that kind of uh, viewing of what's going on with players to take place. So that, that would happen potentially in a match and that would be transmitted then to the to the side of the pitch. Is that correct? Yeah, it happens in both a match and in training. So so we, we monitor both. And, and obviously, depending upon the circumstances, it, it might be that when you, you're managing 40 players on a, on a training ground, it, it, it can often be another pair of eyes and ears on, on what's going on with those players. Obviously, in a game, you've got a different, different set of circumstances. And, and, and in that sense, what we're trying to do is keep an eye on, on those players and, and provide insight over to, to people like Owen to, to decide what they want to do with their players whether they, they look as if they're in trouble or whether they're fine or, or however they want to use that, then, then that's, that's information that they can use it. Obviously, once we've got that information, that information, not just the live data, but also the data that we collect during a game and so on, can be used to inform what happens in the training week that follows. I think that's uh, super interesting. And then I want to kind of mirror that to, to Owen. Like, why, why do we then need to measure these things? Because it's all well and good saying that we can measure loads of data, and that's, that's obviously a really important part of, uh, of modern sport. But why specifically in this instance would we want to measure collision data? 
Well, the answer is really twofold. You know, one is one is obviously player welfare, and and, and one is uh, it's a useful performance tool, a performance enhancing tool, and both those streams aren't mutually exclusive. So we 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 find that by optimizing a player's contact training load, and and now remember, you know. Contact training is the vaccine for contact injuries. You need a certain level of contact in a training week to protect or bulletproof a player for the, for the trials and tribulations that they're going to face when they play, when they play a rugby game. So when we can, you know, intelligently, uh, prescribe the level of contact a player needs and ensure that they, they are achieving that level of contact in a training week each week, uh, we can be really, really confident that we've done everything in our, in our power to minimize the risk for that player. So, by having that player fit and ready to perform, obviously that's a performance enhancing tool, but also by protecting that player, we're looking after that player's uh, long-term health um, and their availability. So their, their, their opportunity to perhaps be involved in the game for longer periods of time for a longer, more injury-free career. So although it's, 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 um, Two separate entities, really. They they both converge quite quite closely to to and and, and we we center we center both those streams around around protech. You know, in the past we've we've used some guesstimates and some GPS data, etc., to try to try uh, uh, measure this cumulative contact load, but nothing gives us the accuracy like protech. Um, so we're we're really pleased how it's progressed so far in the last couple of seasons. I think it's a really interesting way to look at things. And in terms of then like uh, data, um, is there is there a lot of data on, for example, head injuries in, in rugby, which obviously one of the things you're going to be measuring there? Yeah, well, there's obviously a huge amount of data on incidents and severity, uh, which is obviously a measurement of days lost to an injury. Um, and then some great studies have come out in the last couple of years in looking at the mechanism of injury, you know, whether it's a tackler or or, or the person being tackled and, you know, what's the position of the head when the injury occurs, et cetera. And all these things are really, really useful. So we use these to guide some of our contact training drills in, in a, a cluster. But on top of that, the being able to measure what impacts result in the highest impact load to the head is really, really important for us. So something that I'm, I'm quite a novice on this and Chris will, Chris will lecture for days on, on, on these <laughs> topics. But in, for my simple brain, you know, learning about different contact uh, contact loads uh, from the direction of the load whether it's rotational or linear and how that and how that rep- how that presents then in a player who's been subject to these loads um, so all the data is simplified massively by the by the software program where we and they and they seem to band they band the level of contact obviously to to low medium and high so at the end of each training session or even at any time during a session or a game i can go over and look and see what a particular player's accumulative contact loads is so I, if if i saw that a player had perhaps been exposed to some very very high red level contacts you know that would that would definitely encourage me to go in and check on that player on the field just to make sure everything's going to plan there could have been some mechanisms of injury that you know, we've missed. We like to think we can see everything on the side of the pitch uh, at all times, but sometimes things happen out of view. So this this software gives that little extra layer of protection, which is which is really useful for both for us because you know we 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 obviously want to make sure that the player is playing in a in a healthy and, and and safe capacity, but also for the player because sometimes players need to be saved from themselves, especially if they've if they've um, been involved in a in a head injury. 
Yeah, that's uh, some absolutely fantastic advice. And we're going to touch on some of that um, more applied stuff later. So what do you do with the data, for example? But um, in terms of then understanding where this has all come from, Chris, can you give us a quick, yeah, a quick summary then of uh, how you went about developing this technology? Because obviously there's a need. We've established that need and the, and the mm. why you, you want it. But how did you go about making all of this? Because it's not as easy as to say, yeah, oh, I'm just going to just shove an accelerometer in some stuff. It's, it takes some uh, research and development. How did that happen? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. It, it, isn't, it isn't straightforward. I mean, I think, you know, this, this is not a new topic in some senses. I mean, there's been a lot of work been done uh, in the US, particularly um, around American football, where they use uh, sensors in helmets and things for, for some time to try and measure these things. But the, the problem that you've got is that the skin and the hair move independently of the skull. And really what you want to do is work out what's happening to the skull, because that's the bit in which the brain is connected. It isn't connected to the hair or the skin. So we need to know what's happening there. So if you use it on the skin or on a helmet, for example, you get really, it's like a random number generator because, you know, depending on how hydrated you are, depending upon where, how old you are, you know, your skin is more or less flexible, et cetera. So, so you end up with different challenges. So the, the key thing here was to build something that, that wouldn't be affected by that. So inevitably that leads us to a mouth guard because that's the bit, if you, put a mouth guard in, it's anchored to the uh, to the top of teeth and that's anchored into the skull and that therefore moves as one. So that's the first challenge is to, is to get something that you can put it into that. Now, you'll appreciate that's that's a small area. There's not a lot of space there. So we have to have really miniature stuff uh, in order to do that. So we put these sensors in there. Once we've, once we've worked out how, how all that can work, then, of course, you've got some other key things that you've got to do. Um, you've got to validate it. You've got to make sure that it that it actually is accurate. And, and obviously, we've gone through lots of different validation studies to, to make sure that it's accurate. You've got to make sure it's safe. If you put these things in players' mouths, you better be damn sure that these things are safe. So we've had to go through lots and lots of safety checks and international compliance and God knows what else in order to make that possible. So those sort of silly trivial in, in some senses, but they are really, really critical to making sure this happens. And then, of course, you've got to get it get it into into the data out of the mouth guard and into, into a system where you can look at it. And there you have all kinds of different challenges. Uh, just give you a, a trivial one. Uh, we, when we were developing this, we had two players uh, standing next to each other. We couldn't work out why the data was coming out of one and not out of the other. And then we realized one had fillings, metal fillings, and the other didn't. And you just have to tweak everything to make sure that you can still receive the data even when you've got those sort of crazy situations uh, where you've got two players standing together and it seems to work with one and not with the other so lots of little little things like that 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 come out and then of course you've got all the development of the software and things to make it meaningful and i guess one of the things that we've we've spent a lot of time doing is we put a lot of effort and research investment into trying to make it mean something so it's, it's all very well just giving you a number but what are you going to do with that number? As Owen said, there's, there's, there's lots of things that you can do with it when you understand what it means. And, and that's what we spend a lot of time doing. I think that, that leads us perfectly on then to, to what are you measuring? Because obviously you've, you've put in loads and loads of effort, right? Um, to, to get this product to launch. Mm -hmm. What specifically then are you measuring? Because you've, you've said, for example, that there might be uh, some kind of uh, linear or rotational forces. But when, you, mm -hmm. when you're then reading that out on a, on a computer, iPad, whatever you've got on the pitch, what's coming out? And then yeah, what, do, what do the practitioners see in front of their nose? 
Well, it's essentially what we're, what we're measuring is we said rotational acceleration, uh, is measured in rads per second per second, which is, which is gobbledygook to most people. But it, it, it also, we also measure linear acceleration in g-forces. So we, we combine those two to create something called a contact load. And, and Owen's referred to that already today about, about how important it is to measure the overall load. So it is a combination of those two measurements that, that we create. What we've then done is we, we've also created a scale because if you think about it, when we're talking about contact, sorry, let me start again. When we talk about running, it's pretty clear what we're talking about. Everybody understands what a run is, what a walk is, what a high-speed sprint is. In, in contact, that's that's not true because if I if I hold my hand up and I hit it with my fist, and then I alter the angle of my hand and hit it again with the same force, actually my other hand feels as if it's been hit completely differently from the from the first time. And when you start adding in all the complexities about different body weights and speeds and angles and timings and all these kinds of things, it actually becomes really, really complicated. So what we've tried to do is to simplify that, as, as, as Owen said, into different grades of impact. And we've actually created a full scale, which allows us to be totally transparent about what an impact looks like. But we can do that across sports. So we're doing a lot of this in international boxing as well. So you'll find that the two things, we can compare the two things quite, quite easily. Uh, And that gives us a good starting point um, for, for, for what we do. But then after that, you can start to, to layer on what normal looks like because we've now got enough data that we can say, well, look, this is what a position looks like. This is what a team looks like. This is what an individual player looks like in terms of their norm. And then you can start to adjust things, uh, in, in their loading accordingly. Super interesting. And then, so you've got all these, these KPIs, um, and that's coming into a, a training situation or into a game situation. Mm-hmm. Owen, what do you then start to, to do with the data? Because, Obviously, this has to have some kind of influence on the, the training and match day process. So when you see that data coming in, what do you then start to do with it? So I suppose it's part of a, a, a multi-pronged approach alongside you know GPS and player wellness and hydration stats, etc., and, 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 and perceived levels of exertion. So what it does really is it shapes conversation with a player um, that, that mightn't, mightn't have occurred if we didn't have this information. For instance, we've got a particular back row who's who's playing exceptionally well this season, um, and because of his performances, he's he's playing week in week out. You know, he seems to be uh, an undroppable player at the minute. Um, but the level of contact he gets through in the game is quite high in comparative to uh, some of the other players in the squad. So, on training days from a Monday to a Friday, if he's if he if we if we are aware that on a Saturday he's going to achieve X amount of contacts or X amount of contact load, we're confident that we can reduce his overall training week uh, contact uh, to try to keep him as fresh uh, and just expose him to that uh, minimum dose response prior to playing that game. Um, so that's a really, really useful um, kind of uh, metric that we use. Um, and listen, I'm not saying that this is the, the, the only reason, but you know that player has strung together probably the longest period of injury-free playing time and has accumulated the most amount of minutes in the first half of the season uh, that he has in, in his all his time at, at Gloucester. So it's a really, really promising, uh, you know, obviously, albeit a small sample size uh, approach to utilising and, and, and uh, utilising this data in kind of a real-world environment. Absolutely excellent. And then when you look at, let's say, a, a return to play type situation, maybe that uh, the player has uh, has had a concussion, for example, 
um, and you're trying to bring them back into that contact situation and you want to build that up, how would that then look for you guys in terms of making sure that that player doesn't then uh, re-injure themselves in this sense with a, with a concussion? Yeah, so the concussion is, is, is almost like, you could almost look like a return to play process from a musculoskeletal injury and a concussive uh, injury as two kind of separate entities again. Uh, with a, with a long-term musculoskeletal injury, um, this, this data and this software allows us to, uh, you know, prescribe exact quantities of contact, uh, at incremental periods and at, at incremental contact loads throughout the rehab process. So it allows us to introduce contact very, very early. Um, so that then, uh, you know, obviously builds up our acute chronic, uh, ratio. So it's, it's, uh, it's a useful tool for getting that contact in early, but at a very, very measured uh, approach. And secondly, when the player is returning to uh, team training and, and, and being available for selection, it gives us great confidence to be able to show the player that, listen, on Thursday, two weeks ago, you completed the same amount of contact that you're going to complete in the first, whatever, 25 minutes of this game. So you should feel really, really confident going back in there. Um, so it's that extra line of defense. From a concussion point of view, you know, concussion return to play process is, you know, is well publicized in, uh, in, 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 in many, many forms of, of whether it be rugby, whether it be, um, rugby, rugby league, football, et cetera. In, in rugby union, there's a dedicated contact stage. Now, what we do with the mouth guards is ensure that the player is actually being exposed to relevant levels of contact, that they're not ducking and diving and hiding. Um, because we want to see what the reaction this player has. To being exposed to contact post injury before we let them back into training and playing. So again, really, really useful tool um, that objectifies the the level of contact the player is 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 exposed to. Basically, it gives us no place to hide. It gives the player no place to hide, but for the betterment of the player and for the betterment of performance. I think that that's a, a very interesting perspective as well. That it's from both the player and the performance, and there's obviously a lot of different stakeholders who think both of those things are important. Um, when, when you're, let's say, going to flip that and look at a, a younger athlete, um, what kind of advice would you then give if a, if a, a parent is concerned or the, the young athlete themselves, if they're coming back from a collision, um, for example, a concussion? Are there certain things that, that can be used to uh, calm the nerves as such? Are there certain things that the parents should know about? Well, it's a completely different process when you're returning a player in an enhanced in an enhanced care pathway, such as a professional rugby club, to when you're returning a player in a you know perhaps a high level rugby school or, or club rugby environment. There's a lot longer stand down period, um, and for players with multiple concussions in a calendar year at underage level, um, they are subject to a, to a you know a, a much longer stand down period away from contact training. So it's following the advice of the medical professionals that are surrounding your team. Um, the RFU thankfully have produced some fantastic head case data, uh, they call it, um, which is available to everybody online. And it, you know, gives parents pathways and, and examples of what they need to follow, et cetera. But, you know, parents and kids who are involved in, in rugby really need to trust the practitioners, um, who are, who are tasked with looking after their kids and not to go off their own bat and to go against advice. Uh, a developing child's brain, you know, is more, uh, more, um, uh, it takes longer to recover, let's say, from a, from an impact. And, you know, it's, it, it it's more risky about second impact syndrome, obviously well publicized in the media as well. Uh, they're at a greater risk of that occurring. So it's, it's following the protocols. 
that are set out by the RFU and not trying to take um, shortcuts or, or skip stages just because there's a big game coming up. Because essentially, at the end of it, it's the player who loses out. And uh, I can imagine the parents as well, because uh, the parents get uh, another kid at home uh, in their bedroom not being able to go outside for a long time. So uh, I don't think anyone wins from uh, from that situation in that sense. Um, and Chris, when when you've then uh, got all of this uh, amazing data for elite athletes, is it also usable then at the, the sub-elite level? Or, if it, or is, that not, is it at the moment still only for professional teams? So right now we, we're, we're very much focused on the elite athletes, uh, whether they're whether they're in rugby or whether they're in other sports. Um, clearly, the data that we've that we've got has applicability more broadly, but it but it because it gives you the, that sense of norm. But uh, right now we're focused very clearly on the elite game. Is it something that in the future you think that uh, younger children could be using? Yes, I absolutely think so. Uh, I mean. The part of the reason for, for us, just from a business point of view, is we, we, we have we felt we absolutely had to start at the elite level because we had to prove this. And as, as Owen quite rightly pointed out, you know, in the elite game, you've got that higher level of care. You've got you know lots of eyes looking at players because that's their livelihood. That's what they do do for a living. <coughs> Excuse me. Once you once you get down, you don't have that level of coverage. And therefore, we need to be sure that what we are actually telling them is is absolutely spot on. Because you know, the worst thing that we could do is provide data to to a kid that says they're fine, and then they go and have a really bad second impact syndrome injury or or anything else. So it's really important that we get this right, that we start at the right level in a in a very well regulated, very well managed, very well monitored environment, uh, and and only then do we bring it down to the kids. Much as much as we would love to do that right now. Um, it's important to take it in the right order. I think that's some uh, some very good advice as well, and also from from Owen just then some excellent advice for for younger athletes. Um, so in terms of time, guys, I think that's uh, enough of me uh, stealing your day. But uh, massive thanks for your uh, time and wisdom today. I really appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to talking again soon. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Nice to chat. Take care. Thank you very much. Thank you. And that's it once again. A massive thanks to Chris and Owen for their time on today's podcast. I really appreciate it and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is a series of lectures broken down to bite-sized chunks. So if you're interested in sport technology and you want to get some more information, all you have to do is get into the Coach Academy completely for free using the link in the show notes. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it would be fantastic if you could share that with a colleague, a coach, an athlete, or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests, best possible content, and of course, you can help out those around you. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me, I'm Matt Solomon for Science of Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.